I'm rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. So I think the first episode of the second season of United States of Terror is a little strange, mostly because it was written by Diablo Cody, and it's not very funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really funny lines. Half of my notes were just me writing you know, down, down different lines from this, but I mean, this is an episode that involves one of their neighbors committing suicide. It's going to get into very dark places, yes. It it does, and it also doesn't, though, right? Because well, I think that the, the suicide is a vehicle for Tara's alters to come back out, of course. And the episode also is, I think that, you know, Diablo Code is doing something interesting here because in the first two episodes of the second season, Yes and Trouble Junction, and the names are already getting a little wackier because last season we had things like transition, abundance, you know, stuff like that. It 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 feels a little bit more like a different show. Yeah, I remember, I, I believe it was the AV Club talks about how each season is extremely different and... There are very different thematic focuses in each season. This one is going a little more about the world outside of the family. Uh, the first yeah. was the first was about the various altars and the way they're going out, and you know possibly the reasons for them. But this is this is them dealing. One of the f- opening lines in the episode after you have this nice montage of everything's okay for a while. One of the, they're saying, you know, this is one of those moments where we have to meet the where we'll meet the neighbors, and you have Kate getting into very much a, a different world than she's used to. You have Marshall meeting new. Everybody's meeting new people. The conflicts are more inspired by others, even even to the degree that when Buck comes out at the end of Yes mm. and and continues his storyline in Trouble Junction. Tara is not telling anybody that that Buck is coming out, and Buck is also not sticking around the house. Buck yeah. is going off to to fuck that bartender, and and so to me that even speaks to the idea that that really what the season so far has been setting up is a world in which once everybody thinks that Tara is is quote unquote cured, and and I think that the decision to to put her on the medication was was kind of um, abrupt as well because there we do have to talk a little bit about the yeah. fact that there are some very interesting I don't know if I would necessarily call them retcons but there are some changed premises in these episodes that are are interesting for I think what they say about the writing staff and the creative staff of this show identifying strengths and weaknesses in the first season. Yes. For for example, not not to move on too quickly from Buck, but we'll we'll of course talk about Buck a little more. You know, Kate always seemed a little bit older than her character was supposed yes. to be. She was supposed to be fifteen. I think she's still supposed to be sixteen or something like that. Yeah. They this mean- this season starts out three months after the the, the events of the okay. first season finale, and she's graduated from high school. And you're kind of like, what? Yeah. But I think that that was the right call because Kate's storylines. Her best storylines never revolved around being in school. She seemed a little too old and a little too worldly, even at the same time that she was naive. And I think that I'm putting to her rem- out into the real world is a good call for the show. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if they had any any story, any episodes where she was even in class or anything. Really, there was the only school scenes I can remember were her talking to Marshall, and that was about Marshall's story, for example. There was that, and there was also her at school. I think in the first or second episode, yeah. when Buck beats up her her boyfriend with the with the pigtails. But, but that's about they're samurai knots. Um, that 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 that's about it. And there there is a line where Tara says, "Oh, you graduated early." 
knowing who Kate is, a very driven person who is probably extremely bored by this, she probably was already on that, and maybe the events post-Gene inspired her to just double up again or something. Yeah, and I don't think it's that unbelievable. You know, I mean, she could be... I mean, I graduated from high school when I was 17, for example, so... I mean, not that I graduated early, but it was just that kind of thing where you could start kindergarten when you were four instead of five, and then suddenly you graduate high school when you're 17, and the world is your you know, oyster or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. But I think that, yeah, if you say, okay, well, she's 16. She's graduating a year early. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. And maybe she, I'll, I'll go with Maybe that. she turned 17 in the middle of month two of the three months, for example. She could. It, it could have been. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. Well, actually, no, that couldn't have been because she was 15. Exactly. She didn't, she didn't go from 15 to 17 in three months. Unless Kate she, is really unless, driven. Unless Kate is, in fact, Doctor Who. Oh, but let, please, let's not. Uh, she is not bigger on the inside. Ew. Um, I, I just don't know where to go with this. Um, we're dealing with storylines where I, I would say a lot of the plots in the first season were dealing primarily with the effect on Tara, but the effect, effect on the family. Yeah. And... I know, I know where a lot of these storylines end up going, and these are going to deal with the family's effect on the world around them more so. Yes, and, yeah. Which is, a, which is an interesting way of broadening the show and, frankly, putting this situation into a, deeper, in, into a larger context. Well, I think so, too, because you, the first season was, was really the family wrapped up in, in Tara's condition, and— not really doing a very good job or not even really being cognizant of the fact that there's a wider world out there. And, you know, we talked especially in, I think, the last episode of the one previous to that about how each of the two children are really dealing with this in a very particular and different way. And they were the ones that were really outside in the world the most in the first season. Tara, of course, was out in the world as, as her alters, you know, especially T and Buck. You know, Alice just kind of hung around the house and cooked. But it is the kind of thing where you look at it and you say, in this season especially, in these first two episodes, we have all of the characters, except for Tara really, I think, having some sort of external life outside of this. And Max to that degree too, I think. I don't think that Max really is doing much in these first two episodes. Well, number one, a thing I'm just realizing is both Tara and Max are self-employed. Max runs his own own little landscaping business and his employees are his best friend and his some other guys that he has working with him for him. Right. And so he can't, they, I mean, alighting the fact that I don't know if these two people could afford to buy another house, but that's, you know, well, of course we, we have to accept that the landscaping business does well enough and that the house is going to be that cheap. I think that's Hollywood people forgetting how real life works, (laughs) frankly, but well, there's funny enough. There is that when Kate announces that she's gotten a job doing collections, Tara makes some kind of remark that's very much informed by this is post crash, you know, finances. And, uh, so, so they are half aware that, that, that housing in uh, around what, when was this 2010, 2010? Yeah. I guess this is another case. I'm finding it hard to find an angle into this because these are very, again, two episodes that are very intertwined, very non-distinct. We have introduction of different characters in different episodes, but um, they are a lot more, I guess the term you use is serialized in a way. This does seem to come immediately after. I think it's – well, I think maybe this is a good opportunity to to kind of define our terms here, of course, because – 
and strap in and take notes because there's going to be a quiz later. That what I mean about serialization is really that um, there's two. I mean, really, there's a couple different types of serialization, right? There's the serialization of something like Breaking Bad, for example, which continues the story from from point to point. But each episode really does have a distinct feel and a distinct through line and a distinct plot, right? And I think that what you get here is something where I I call it sort of the pile of shit that happens kind of approach, which is more like Game of Thrones, for instance. And interestingly enough as well, Game of Thrones has kind of moved away from that a little bit. And especially in the most recent season, they were actually trying to construct like stories in each episode which hey good job guys you're making episodic television maybe you should do that more so tara is doing that second approach now and and certainly there will be episodes later on i'm thinking of one in the middle of this season in particular that does have a very particular plot and hook into it that is very distinct and you will definitely you don't know what episode it is i well largely because there's about again four or five different plot lines where i do remember the ending very well and i'm not sure which one you're referring to but We'll just have to find out. But it's a natural disaster, perhaps. <gasps> but I think that, yeah, you're right that especially the second half of the first season is kind of bleeding into the second, the, the first two episodes of the second season, where essentially what the first episode especially is, is all about table setting, is all about where are these characters now three months later, yes. is really about establishing the new quote-unquote world of the show and the second season is just kind of continuing that Mm -hmm. and it doesn't really have the you know each plot line doesn't really have a resolution i think it's more constructing it as this is a 12 episode television season we're going to have plot lines that stretch out and they'll get resolved at the end of the season perhaps but not in each episode. Well, for example, the way that Kate's storyline, she graduates high school early. She needs to get a job. She stumbles in this collections job. Through it, she meets this woman, uh, what, what's her name, Liz? Linda Frazier. Yeah. And that's going to be one of Kate's major plot lines this season is her friendship with uh, Linda P. Frazier. Yeah. And so, yeah, they, they are different steps in a very long plot line. It's not as if... But but there will be specific events that she and Linda will do, for example. Yeah. Um, well, maybe we should. We yeah. Should, let's we should talk, talk about. about Kate. Yeah. Why let's not? talk about Kate and dispense with that because I think her. Honestly, I think that her plot line is the least interesting in these two oh, episodes. I, I I think it's it, it's true because it is really table setting for where that this storyline ends up going. Yeah. But that said, I I love I love her in these two episodes because it is very much. A little maybe tempered from her experiences with Jean, but she is still very much going to 100% do anything that she is involved in. Um, this is – again, this is a girl who was out – who was making notes in the Barnaby's corporate handbook when she got it. So she And actually, interestingly enough, that that does really nicely – drive home the point that this is a woman who could graduate high school two years early it's it's true she she is someone who will know all of i i I think i joked that she was looking for a loophole at that point but she will know exactly how to get the right requirements um i love how she wears costumes to this job in a way she thinks it's a spy organization show she wears this slinky black turtleneck and then the next day when she goes back she's wearing like this conservative polka dot dress that's like floor length and has sleeves but she's making a sale and uh and doing well and then in the next episode she wears this like vest thing yeah i think that's i don't know it's the show in general uses clothing very well clothing is 
clothing and costuming are kind of the same thing in this. For example, uh, the, 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 the season opens with them throwing away the clothing and the paraphernalia. Of yeah, and I don't think that that's incidental. Incidental, yeah. The, we, we know very much from body language, from the prop of the glasses, but from facial expression that when Buck has appeared. And frankly, in Buck is not dressed in his own clothing during his flirtations with Pammy. He's wearing pretty much Tara's outfit, no bra, and just pulling her hair back. That's, right. But the show you did find the glasses somewhere, of course. Um, the show, but the show does use costuming very well. Again, it's going to uh, uh, costuming is actually about to become a major plot point soon, but that's a different <laughs> story. Um, I love Linda P. Frazier. Yeah, more for what she becomes than what she is in this episode specifically. And I think that... That said, it's very... uh, We can't really say much about her right now, except for the fact that... I don't even know if you picked up on this, but there was a very interesting... One of the things that these two episodes especially are doing are are using very subtle um, dialogue and very subtle sort of uh, props to to indicate uh, emotional states or who these people are. And... And it, again, it's a show that does that very nicely, of course, because of all the alters and the different ways in which they, they carry themselves and the way mm-hmm. in which Tony Collette plays them. Uh, there's a really great scene in the second episode, Trouble Junction, where essentially what's happening is, is she is ha- she is experiencing co-consciousness still. Yes. And, and Buck is actually in the room with her. They have a brief conversation and she is – you can tell that she is still terror, but Buck is trying to come out and she's doing these facial expressions very briefly that are very buck like yeah did, she's doing a very good job have we we haven't really seen tara have a conversation with an alter in that way or be i don't think we ever have i think be, it's a continuation exactly, of the last shot an evolution of, of the first uh first season of, yes. of the episode the, the season finale of the first season i guess i to just pick up an earlier point about medication uh, i mean maybe sh- i do feel like with her working with the new doctor and it's several years later and Maybe she does. It's three months. No, 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 no. I mean, since the last time she was on medication, or oh, the yeah. last time she got a new prescription for medication, I should say, um, the doctor that she had at the clinic, you can very much say, "Well, look, this new thing's been developed. I've had good success with it." And right. I do like that Tara spends these episodes high off her ass. Really, she's very goofy in an uncomfortable way. Yeah. From the meds, uh, we're getting away from. Uh, Kate, because again, this is a well, very one... interconnected story. Okay, that's fine. I'm not condescending. I, I'm, I'm condescending a little bit, but Linda gives her five thousand dollars, but she explicitly states that it's from an arts charity that she is sharing or something like that, or she runs and like she's paying off her personal debt with money from a charity. Essentially, Linda P. Fraser is oh. Donald Trump, I guess. <laughs> Uh, no, that's actually very interesting. And, and I, I, I just I, – I caught that. Yeah. And I'm like, Kate doesn't pick up on it because no. Kate, of course, is a lot less worldly than she thinks she is. She doesn't really understand how finances in the adult world work in that way. Yeah. Linda P. Frazier perhaps does or doesn't. We don't know at this point. But it's I, little, I will say somebody it, who is running an arts organization like that – and who has a very nice loft and is obviously very intelligent, probably has an idea of what she's doing. Yes, but at <laughs> the same time, she is doing something that is patently illegal. 
So yeah, it's true. There's something going on there, and I, I don't know what it means yet. I don't know if the show is going to do anything with it. Stay tuned on that. But it is something that I think indicates the type of person that Kate has found herself yeah. intrigued by. I, yeah, and I guess I, I guess what I'll say is it's very obvious why Kate is immediately smitten with this woman. This is the coolest person she's ever met. She's very. You know, look at her place, look at her drawings, look at just how she ca- carries herself, how yeah. she talks. Yeah. She's, of course... She's what Kate wants to be. E- exactly. And, I mean, Kate does at, is at an age where she's looking for a female role model who is not her mother. The only other obvious candidate, Aunt Charmaine, spends, very deliberately spends these entire two episodes geeking out over the ring. Like, she's... she's I, I think she's ridiculous in these two episodes just to highlight how much... You know, Charmaine is the uh, uh, genesis of the term norm core, I believe. Yeah, well, not really, but I, I joke. She, but and she is norm core is very much what Charmaine badly wants to be. The the all of these characters, all of the characters in the show, know they're not quote unquote normal. Yeah, and a lot of the conflict is. To what degree do I want to be normal? To what degree should I be? To what degree would normality accept me? You know, what degree can I just let my freak flag fly? I think that, and this is a lot of where Linda P. Frazier's talking about uh, Princess Valhalla Hawkeye. Yeah. Um, when Kate first finds these pictures, she immediately thinks that, you know, oh, this is a woman who looks like this and drew herself in the costume. They think it's a... and. Obviously, they find out that she's not, and when Kate questions her about it, she said, yeah, was I was playing a lot of D&D at the time. Um, I, it was this ridiculous wish fulfillment, you know, bullshit. This is very obviously from an age when, you know, this woman, when she was in, her, in college, was a big nerd playing D&D who very much felt ugly and black and very uncomfortable and so drew this version of – what she wanted to be. Not that you're equating ugly and black. No, 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 no. No, I'm talking about that's the message that she yeah. received or believed at that age. And over all of the past, you know, 15, 20 years, however long it's been since then, she's gone through a lot of dark shit and finally come up and felt how to be comfortable in her own skin. I mean, she says, like, oh, it's been a long time since. I drew that, you know, she is a little contemptuous. But at the at the same time, you know, when Tara says, oh, I was ex- – when Kate says, oh, I was expecting to meet her, uh, she jokes, well, I'll always be her. And right. in a way, she's almost transformed the character into the positive aspects of it. She can still draw on this character's strength and, you know, power and all of that without wanting to be white anymore you know, right. while being still comfortable in her own skin. Right. And I, you know, and I also don't think it's incidental that she mm-hmm. is the only real character of color that we have mm. seen on the show so far. And, and, you know, she is going to have a, well, her, a, a primary, well, not a primary role, but a significant role in the season. Oh, this, well, we, we are starting to meet people. Um, the, 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 ga- the, the gays, um, one the of them is middle East. Yeah. Um, I, no, I'm talking about the gay neighbors. One of them is yeah, Middle the Eastern. The gay neighbors. They're not the, not the gable is at school. The gay neighbors. Oh right. Okay, yeah, sorry. that they invite to the house. Um, I got the word gable stuck in my head, and well, I was like, "That's a great word." We'll talk about the gable. But now we're meeting other gay students at the school. We're meeting a a, a gay interracial couple. 
we're meeting a black woman. We are going to meet different other people in in in, in the series. And I think again, a lot of these characters are people who feel that they are not normal. They are marginalized in some way, whether it's through mental illness, skin color, sexuality, or whatever. And how do how do one of the driving questions that I'm finding this se- this season is about is how do I accept that identity? What parts of normality can I take? You know, do I even want? And, yeah. And a perfect example is what Marshall is. Going well, I was about to say, it's yeah. a good opportunity for us to talk about Marshall and what's going on with him. Now, there, there is, I, I can definitely see a strain of criticism, especially in the way that he is being handled on these first two episodes, which yeah. is, oh, it's the standard closeted storyline about a gay teen but it's not and maybe this is part of why i thought that he had been a little further into the closet in the first season um yeah because the interesting thing about it's a funny thing right because marshall was never in the closet right because marshall never he just never was he didn't come out because he was never in the closet yeah he's very open about the fact that that he was gay not that he was saying that he was gay necessarily, but that he was just open about the fact yeah. that he found boys attractive and all these kind of things and had crushes on them. So, and and I will say, I think there is some amount of which which is where we will get into some of the tensions between Marshall and Lionel, but um, where Marshall has taken a lot of the cultural elements of being gay, in other words. In other words, being into film, being I, into jazz, dressing nicely, cooking, those I kind of very superficial elements of being gay. But I don't know if being into jazz or film is a cultural thing about being gay, but we can agree to disagree on that. Uh, I'm thinking uh, – well, I, I'm thinking in terms of, again – I think being an esteet perhaps or that's something like, like that. That's, I guess, where I'm going with that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Especially considering he's in Kansas City. Of course, he's going to be – called gay for liking movies and liking jazz music. But I think that's who Marshall is. And I yes. think that, that what what it really comes down to is that Marshall is kind of, um, if we can use the term post-gay in a way, mm. it, it's that he doesn't really see the need to come out because he's always been just who he is. And I think that his his story in these two episodes, and we need to make it clear that Marshall is not going to struggle with his sexuality for very long. Yeah. I think it might even be the next episode. I'm not sure. But uh, he – it makes sense to me that he would kind of not really closet himself but position himself in a very particular way because he did have a traumatic experience with Jason mm-hmm. at the end of last season. And then he gets confronted with Lionel who he obviously has the hots for but doesn't know what to do about it or is afraid to do something about it because of what happened with Jason. Hmm. And at the same time, he's being confronted by the fact that the other gay students at the Gable are, are just, you know, he's, he's transparently homosexual and they all know it and he's uncomfortable with that. Well, I would say there's also, I think he thought he was being very sly last season. <laughs> um, Marshall doesn't fit under the traditional straight acting umbrella. And yet, uh, Lionel is much more effeminate than Marshall is. We might need to define the term straight acting. I don't know that that, that straight people really know that term. The, uh, um, g- gay people will talk a lot about you know straight acting versus quote gay acting. Again, the more effeminate Lionel is very gay acting in some ways. Um, you know, if Jason making out with Marshall, Jason is being very straight acting. 
because he's Jason is straight acting. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Now, see, a lo- I I think some of Marshall's fears, repulsions, and just general conflicts that he is feeling about Lionel are dealing with a lot of the conflicts that because you, because in society you're told that to be gay is is a bad thing. You don't want to be a fag. You know, you don't want to. And so the straight Maybe act- you don't want to be. Well, well, so the straight acting gay is kind of the compromise, you know, it's somebody who is homosexual but not without all of the He's not going to bleach blonde hair. He's not going to swish all over the place. Like he's going to actually be a guy. Like, yeah, I might like watch some football and then like suck each other's dicks. Yeah, that and then kind might of watch thing. Watch some more football and drink some beer. That's a fun time. Um, and this is where all, a lot of Marshall's um, views in this in these episodes are coming. I'm thinking a lot of the. Frankly, the kind of glad version of homosexuality that was in the 2000s, which was. You uh, surrounded on gay people are just as the same as you you straight people. We're normal too. Uh, we just want to have families. We just want to have kids. We just want to be in the military. You know, feeling that you know, gay marriage and adoption and the military and you know, full economic participation were the ways in which uh, gay people could integrate into society. And that seems to be you know the very and, much and let's and let's be clear as well not to turn this into a conversation about the last 20 years of gay activism but mm. that was a very specifically targeted thing yes driven primarily by and for well-off white gay men yeah of course and uh, i think marshall is kind of still in that mindset like oh if i'm gay that's fine but i don't want to be a freak and he looks at lionel who is, seems to be almost coming from a little bit of an older tradition. He's he would have been very at home and act up in the eighties, for example. And I think he's he's more confrontational about it. Lionel does not pass in any way, and Lionel is maybe a little defiance. There is a definitely some hurt, yeah. in him, yeah. But at the same time, he is doing his damnedest for a sixteen-year-old to just take that back and you know, fling it back into people's faces. And I well, don't think Lionel is ashamed of who he is. No. And I, I, I think that, you know, there, there is a degree to which Marshall can blend in, if I can use that yeah. term more because Marshall is not traditionally gay, I guess, or, yeah. or, or he's not, um, yeah. he's not effeminate really. He's not flaming. And I, we can say these things. You can't. Say these <laughs> unless well, some you're of them well. can, um, but, but I think that my point really is that where that comes from, and I think this really ties into Lionel is an interesting character yeah. as well. We'll see a lot more of him in this season, but I think this really ties into especially the discussions surrounding everybody else finding their identities and terrifying yeah. her identities with, with the altars and what's going on with that as well. Because essentially what's happening is that Lionel is a, an example of a teenager who is gay who can't hide and 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 teenagers who are gay who are, who can't hide do either go one of two ways they really really go out and they be very combative about it and all this yeah. kind of stuff because they essentially don't have the option right or they just retreat yeah. and Lionel has chosen the the first one to do yeah in the same way that that I think Tara has chosen a different path which is that she is trying to hide essentially yeah. at this point that's fair it's very yeah I mean, it's interesting how I'm watching. The, I saw the show a few years ago, but like I've been out of New Jersey for close to ten years. You know, I've been living in cities for a while. I, I I've 
And when I was younger, I was much more on the Marshall side of things like, yeah, why do you got to throw it in everybody's faces that you're gay? Why do you got to start problems anywhere? Why do you have to be, you know, political in these ways? Why do you got to be such a fag about it? Oh, little baby Richard. I know. I was you were terrible. so dumb. Well, you were my Lionel in some ways in that you got me woke. But um, I mean, Lionel is coming off as, again, 16 year old and still a lot of pain but he's a little bit of a badass sure like he's i mean he needs to do something about his hair well but... you know it was the it was the time and it's in kansas city so really they um but yeah i, I you know marshall is or sorry lionel is lionel i Mar- marshall i think we haven't we've even kind of short shrift to marshall in yeah. this conversation but i think that you know marshall again is not going to be quote unquote in the closet for very long he's not no. going to be pretending that he is questioning his sexuality and i think that his storyline to me is probably the least interesting of these only because it doesn't really go anywhere. He does what a lot of, you know, I think his story is he had a crush on a boy. He knows he's gay, uh, but something really fucked up happened. Uh He's got this whole other thing going on with his family and his mother, especially. And so he doesn't want to have to deal with this on top of everything else. And so, hey, let's – why not make out with a girl? Yeah. Why not make out with Shoshana from Girls? I was going to say, like, I, the first episode, I'm like, who the fuck is she? I know who she is. That wasn't his friend for the first season, was it? No. No, okay. No, she was the little 50s housewife Alice mm-hmm. kind of person. Yeah, I, I – when they, because when they first showed her in this episode, I was like, "Wow, like she's dressed much better this season. Like, you know, oh, she's a year older. Like, she's you know got more. But oh, yeah. it was a different character. It was a different character. Yeah. I mean, and again, you know, you can with with as confused as everybody around him is, Marshall is legit to think. Well, maybe you know, I do have an opportunity to kiss this girl. Maybe I just should, just for good measure." But I think, again, where the – one of the things that the season is going is that we can't fall into the pitfall of having Shoshana from Girls be just kind of the prop for Marshall to figure out the final, you know, cap on his sexuality. He's she's She is a, she is a person who is dealing with yeah. her own emotions. She is obviously – you know, very feeling very close to Marshall as well, and she how how would she take the news that he wasn't really into this? Well, we'll find out. We'll find out. Well, and, I think that that's really the 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 takeaway here, though. Of yeah. course, is that you you were saying earlier about how all of the characters are very interested in pretending to be normal, and mm-hmm. and this is just one more example of that. You know, Charmaine is pretending to be yeah. really into Nick and getting married. Marshall is, is is essentially making out with a girl and not pretending to be straight, but he's exploring that and maybe yeah. doing that kind of thing. You know, Tara is hiding her transitions because she doesn't want to be quote unquote crazy again. You know, there's Kate is kind of pretending to be um, a more normal person who just has a job when what she really wants to do is live in a loft in Kansas City, downtown Kansas City with Linda P. Frazier. So but I think that same, all of those kind yeah. of things are, are examples of how the characters are are not being true to themselves, essentially. Although I will say in Kate's case, I think Kate does put the put her jobs into perspective sure. in that she she Kate Kate wants to be very independent and she knows that one the best way for her to be independent is to have a lot of money and it turns out that if she works her ass off this job can really give her as many bonuses as she's capable of getting so she is going to it's kind of a shitty job though let's be honest it is a shitty she gets she doesn't get paid anything it's all commission. <laughs> no, it's a shitty job. It's true. This is the kind of job that many people would not take. Again, but Kate, then again, she's sixteen. She seems she's Kate is the kind of person who will just 
again, she just kind of stumbles into it because she thinks it's going to be a cool, fun spy job. But I'm here and I have some opportunities. I might as well take it. And she is using the job, even though it's not what she ultimately wants to do. She's taking this job and at least trying to get as much cash as she can from it. And I also do do love the juxtaposition of Kate's worldliness about the job and about Linda Pre Frazier with her naivete about what exactly the job is initially. Yeah. I mean, she's she really does think that she's going to be working for the CIA. <laughs> I genuinely believe that. Yeah, or, or if not the CIA, maybe just an offshoot because, you know, she is only 16, you know, maybe in five years she'll get to the real CIA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about um, the, the suicide in the house yeah. then because, and, and this is kind of going to be, again, become a big motif in the season. Uh, but I think that essentially the house is a stand-in for uh, uh, all of their problems, yeah. essentially. Well, uh, given the—again, this is going back to the title screen, which is a house used to represent the mind and you know Tara's mental state and the place where her alters hang out and live and come from. And so here we have another house. It is a very symbolic— uh, and what have they said about this house? It smells funny. It's stuck in the 70s. It needs a lot of—it is a— I mean, this is a—they've called it the fortress—they joke it's the fortress of solitude. The guy who lived there never came out. Nobody really went in there. It's—I mean, a lot of the symbolic resonances of this house are extremely obvious. Yeah, And I I, I appreciate the show for one of my notes in the first episode was Max is so into this house because he needs a project. If Tara's cured, then he doesn't have a project, and so he latches on—and Tara— explicitly calls him out exactly on that yeah and he kind of denies it i mean that's when they do that air supply thing but and who knew max to play the piano i like that max is a musician we're gonna see more of max the musician yeah i i think so and i think that um the the house is kind of a stay tuned moment as most of the stuff is because this again is the only the first two episodes of the season but 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 although to be fair, given it's two of twelve, that is a long time of setting up. But yeah, this season will well when when things crash down in this season, they are going to crash the fuck down. Well, here here's my question for you uh, about the house and about Tara specifically. Do you think that Tara starts to transition again because she doesn't want Max to buy the house? Well, I don't know if it's that easy, but it it. it, it, it Tara starts to transition because she doesn't want Max to move on to a different project. Maybe him buying the house is committing to a different project and in a way – is there a bit of subcon- – in other words, if the alters appear when Tara needs them to do something that she can't do herself, are the alters appearing be- – and specifically Buck and – Yeah. We'll talk about Buck's storyline in a second, but is Buck about to cause trouble so that way – Max has a need to be still with Tara because he's going to take I, – I, it's it's up to you. I don't know. Um, well, and I think also uh, the importance of it being Buck, I don't think you can understate as well. Yeah. Because really, I you know, I don't want to say that Max is the cause of Tara reverting back to transitioning, but he kind of is in a way. I mean – Well, there's a bunch wants- of stuff. The suicide itself kind of fucks her up. The, the way suicide that she, does, yeah. She very much 
But uh, what I what I'm thinking is like two things. Max wants to move on and have another project. He thinks Terra is done and fine now. Now again, I don't know why they think that. Of course, because the the season or the series began with her going off her medication. Yeah, and she wasn't transitioning then. And then she goes back on the medication. It's better medication. You know, whatever. It's been five years or whatever. So the medication is better. Okay, but the other part of this, of course, is that I think it's Buck because. Max is flirting with that waitress and Buck is essentially trying to stop that from happening by sleeping with the bartender, which is not the best way to do that, of course, well, but it's Buck. But the thing is, I, see, I, 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 there is part of that, but I also get a bunch of genuine resonances from Buck. In other words, Alice with her phantom baby that she had last yeah. season, um, they they make it very clear, even though it's not real, it's extremely real to her. When she you know loses the baby at the end of the episode, she reacts as if this were an actual miscarriage. Sure, sure. And so I think Buck is actually into this woman. She's and why not? She's played oh. by Joey Lauren Adams of Mallrats and Chasing Amy fame. She seems that's who that is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the voice didn't. Uh, Clue it off, but yeah. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. About, you know, what, 10, 15 years later. So, yeah. Um, 17 years later, I yeah. think. Well, maybe not quite that long, but yeah. Anyway, um, I, I think just at, if Buck were an actual person, uh, or if, if Buck. Well, that's, I think well, that's, that's, that's it. Like, if. I think one of the things that I liked about the first season in particular and the way that the show treats the alters is that mm-hmm. they are real people. Yes, and that's fair. But it, I, I guess where I'm going with this, if, if, if Buck were a separate person from Tara and was somebody who met this woman in the bar, I think they genuinely would have yeah. flirted with each other and begun some kind of a relationship. And Pammy is obviously genuinely into Buck and. I think there is a poignancy in that, you know, Buck wants the Buck wants the body so that way, not so he can do anything destructive or or or, or evil, but because he wants to have a date with his girlfriend. Of course, given that, you know, given the nature of Tara's existence and Buck's existence, that's going to cause problems. And again, Pammy is a real person; she's yes. not just a prop for which. Uh, for which Tara and Buck's drama is going to put. She is an actual person who is having feelings for this. Yeah, I agree with that, but I also disagree with it because I think that the the key part of the, the Buck and Tammy story is that Tara is transitioning back to herself in the morning. Yeah. And I think that if Buck was, quote-unquote, interested in a real relationship with, with her, I don't know well, that he would be leaving. No. I mean, I think it's it's... There, there's a question in my mind about that. I mean, you I do know, think I, that Buck. I, I do think that Buck likes her. I think Buck is attracted well, to her. I think that he does care about her. But at the same time, Buck is not staying around in the morning. Buck is not eating her cereal. No, but a couple of things. Number one, look who Buck is, and look who the bartender are. They both kind of. I don't think either of them are having an expectation of it being any more serious. But may you do. Know, May down the road, I but yeah. I, I well, I think that Tammy is certainly certainly, and I think I think that Buck does like her, but, but Buck I don't do- think that he wants a relationship with her. Yeah, that's f- and I think that's what that comes down to. Fair enough. Maybe he wants just a casual thing, but all I know is when Tara tells her, you know, look, I'm trouble. That's it's, it's just like if you wanted her to fall in love with you, her you you would have said that. Like that's that's the magic line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, and that 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 
that she has two kids also is adds a little twist of the knife to this. This is going to maybe this is something where again Buck and Pammy would have gotten through this with the best of intentions in good faith as as a customer and a bartender who maybe they just have a casual couple night stands maybe the actual what whatever it would be the point is because of the situation this is going to become a clusterfuck because yeah. that's a situation that just can't be in the be here yeah yeah and and i guess that's a lot of where the problems in this <laughs> series are going to come from i guess what's very what's Interesting to me is how the one and Tara ha- – I don't remember his name. The There's Hanny and the – Gay one and gay two. Well, the Middle Eastern one is named Hanny. And Bob. Other, Hanny and Bob. Um, Bob and Tara have a bit of a connection. I don't like the gay neighbors. <laughs> Sorry. I, I know, but they're an important part. No, of, I know. I know. Uh, uh, uh. Um, he, Bob and Tara have a moment where they're talking about – you know, he says, oh, yeah, that was me in the 80s referring to a period of substance abuse and depression. Like they have both been in very dark places. And at the – I like how when they're at for brunch or dinner or wherever they're at, um, like he, he, he goes into that story about playing a soybean and that you can tell he's starting to tell is a funny story and then suddenly is talking about his, you know, homophobic, abusive father and – you know, to break the silence, Tara makes this, you know, how'd you fuck up playing a soybean? And he laughs and everyone else is shocked by that. Like, I like that there is this moment where the two of them have seen the dark side, so there's no reason for bullshit. Like, w- w- he, she, yeah. frankly, she's finally supplied the punchline to this story. Next time he tells it, he can actually make it funny. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And Well, it's gallows humor in a way. Of course. But at the same, but they're allowed, that's something that they share and that, that, the uh, well, of many of the other characters won't admit to having that in them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's another way that the show is is smartly expanding the universe because yeah. it is giving Tara. I mean, she did have what's her name from the first season, Stephanie or whatever. Tiffany, Tiffany, Amy, Megan. Yeah, Bobina. I don't know. Bobina. But it, it is the kind of thing where Tara is. You know, Tiffany's Tiffany. friendship with her was maybe not the best, and maybe Tara was just latching onto her because yeah. she didn't really have anybody else. But in the case of Gay Bob, <laughs> I think that Tara actually does like him. And she does feel like there is maybe a connection there because of their shared mental yeah. problems. Yeah. In a way. It's a nice moment that they can at least uh, and I don't know that commiserate. We can really, yeah. And I don't know that we can really say much else about them at this point because they weren't. I don't think they were in the second episode. No, so. But- and they're kind of there and not there. They don't become as, as kind of their introduction in the first episode. Uh, yes, you would think that they were going to be some sort of integral part of the second season, and they don't really pan out that way. That but said, they will have several interactions with Marshall, which as a, 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 a yeah. as a teenager who is going again going through you know his feelings towards his his own sexuality towards the sexuality and the gender presentation of others who is having his own opinions about that it will do him well to have an adult around him telling him something yeah yeah well we'll just have to see what happens in the next two episodes yeah but before we tell you what those are if you have any comments on this episode of the podcast please leave a comment on the post for this episode at tuninginshow.com you can check out our patreon at patreon.com/truckaboutshow with support both this podcast and our other podcast, Trek About. Next week, we're releasing the season seven premiere of DS9. Oh, shit. 
Craziness. That's what it's called? That's a really stupid title. <laughs> Craziness parts one and two. <laughs> Episode three. Things are just really insane right now. And the finale. You are not going to believe how this ends. Just wait. Just you wait. Part This one. is where BuzzFeed got their headline writing skills from. Uh- Oh, so BuzzFeed was created by Ron Moore. I understand. Yes, you do. That's <laughs> what this is all wrapping around to. <sighs> yeah, so just go to patreon.com slash show if you would like to support us. You can also find us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Our username is Tuning In Show. And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review for tuning in. It is the best way to help the show, aside from giving us money. Or goods. Or goods. We'll take goods as well. Goods, <laughs> goods and or services. I need my apartment to be clean. I, I, I don't think that's the services that we will get from fans on the internet, but maybe send us some pictures. We'll see what's going on there. Mm. We'll go We'll go with it. Just like Denise Crosby was talking about all the pictures that she got from fans in the film Trekkies, which we've done a patron special on. Yes, I'm just throwing that, was our, that out That was there. our October patron special from two months ago, <laughs> which you can get access to if you give us $5 a month or more at patreon.com slash trekaboutshow. I like that Richard is starting to know when to ask for money. <laughs> it's, it's the answer the, all the, the time. The former nonprofit fundraiser and he is very pleased. <laughs> All right, well, next week we are continuing our descent into the second season of United States of Terror. We're going to be talking about the episodes The Truth Hurts. It really does. And You Becoming You. Mac, why do you...